Welcome to Thrive Deeper, the show based on the Thrive Bible Reading Guides. This is an ongoing conversation about God's Word with Thrive's author, Dr. Matthew Jacoby, and your host, DJ Payne. G'day and welcome to Thrive Deeper, episode 109. It's your old pal DJ Payne here. And on this fortnight's episode, Matthew Jacoby and I sit down and this is our second, second episode into the Gospel of Luke. And I tell you what, I am thoroughly enjoying looking at the life of Christ. Last episode, we covered the introduction and the first two chapters of the Gospel of Luke. Well, this week we're starting in chapter three. So grab your Bibles, grab your copy of Thrive Deeper and turn to the Gospel of Luke chapter three. Now, just want to let you know that halfway through this episode, keep listening because we have a very special offer of a free copy of the Thrive Daily Reading Guide that you can get sent to you directly. All right, enough from me. Let's get into the Gospel of Luke on this fortnight's Thrive Deeper. Okay, Matthew, uh, we're going to pick it up in Luke chapter 3. You're saying that you want to get to chapter 7 by the end of this episode. (laughs) Is that... A bit well, ambitious, is that? <laughs> yeah, look, if we say, you know, usually when we're talking amongst ourselves, we talk about, you know, either flying, you know, high over the, over the, you know, the passages, mm. sort of get a bird's eye view as you fly over, or you get down into the actual terrain itself and you start looking through it. Yeah, well, one of the ways, one of the reasons I, I like doing it this way is because I think when people read the Gospels, they immediately get drawn down into the details. Yes. And they get caught up in questions about the details when actually the, a lot of the message is you you get by flying a little higher yeah. and you look at how the different stories relate to each other and the point that's being made and the sequence of those stories and the the pattern of the way that they're put together and definitely so i always i always like to point that out because i think that's the best starting point yeah you know if you look at what uh what's happening in the big picture and really it's this is the thing and and Today is going to be a classic example of interpreting this text and uh, and how it links with the Old Testament, for example, even though Luke is, is writing, he's not just writing for a Jewish audience, writing for Jewish and Gentile yes. audience, very much catering for Gentiles, and yet it's very much rooted in the Old Testament story. Very much so. And, um, yeah, there's some – I think today will demonstrate – why this big picture is really important. So, in that analogy, let's say we're in a helicopter and we're going to try to say above, but every now and then we might we might we're drop down, yep, we might right. land land a little bit closer. So, the first two chapters of Luke is a very long, um, almost prologue to the actual story of, of you know of Jesus, and we pick it up again in chapter three. Uh, you know, we finish chapter two with this you know beautiful picture of Jesus at twelve years old. Yep. And then you know, in one uh, you know, in one swish of the pen, uh, very frustrating for detail freaks like me. Mm. Luke basically covers you know uh, another eighteen years of Jesus's yeah, life, right. and just says, "Look, he grows in wisdom, he grows in stature, he grows in his you know in his relationship with man, with the you know people around him, and he also grows in his you know spirituality." If that uh, you know, how does Luke put it there at the end of chapter two? Uh, he Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favour with God and man. 
In favor with God and man, you think, well, hang on, wait a minute, you are God. How do you grow in favor with God? But I love, I love that, uh, that phrase. And then we get into chapter three, pretty much begins the public ministry of, of Jesus proper. But just like in the birth narrative, we get John the Baptist first, mm. we get John the Baptist first here as well in the ministry. Yeah, that's right. So John the Baptist fulfills this preparatory role in fulfillment of Malachi. Uh, chapter 3 and 4, about one preparing the way. And uh, and John comes to prepare people to really encounter God in Jesus Christ. And so, he calls them to repentance. And it's a hard word that he brings. Yeah. Uh, John's word is uh, is one of, I guess it's a, he brings out the big stick and <laughs> he... Um, it's black and white. The, yeah, it's kind of the sternness of God here, but it's all about bringing them to this place of repentance yeah. and preparing people to encounter Jesus. And and this is the interesting thing is that um, the people needed to be prepared. They needed to come to that place of brokenness. Otherwise, Jesus wasn't going to make sense to them. Yeah. If they thought that they were righteous because of this or that or because I've kept the law, it was really the ones who I think – got John's message and recognized that how much they needed this forgiveness, the forgiveness of God, it was to them that that Jesus would make sense. And and again, I don't know if it's the fact that we're you know, I, I guess I guess this is the beauty of of the of these narrative mm. stories, these historical accounts that we get here in the Gospels, is no matter what era you're living through and not what no matter what period of history you're reading them through, you can apply them to where you're at in your own life. And for me personally, reading through, especially John the Baptist here, he seems to be speaking to a people. See if this rings true for anybody living through November 2020. He's speaking to a people, especially those who say they believe in God, who are very caught up in political systems, mm. very caught, caught up in the, yep. you know, the powers of the day yep. and what is supposedly good and their national rights and all these yep. different things of who they think they are. John cuts all of that in half yeah, and says, right. no, no, it's black and white. He's coming, and you're either going to be good or yeah. he's going to throw you in the fire. Yeah, and it's One interesting. That is actually an interesting feature of this because the way that John announces the coming of the Messiah is that he's coming as a judge. Yes. And you think, hang on, but but is Jesus came in, in grace and, and, and so forth, and it, in, in a sense it doesn't ring true, but it actually is true because Jesus has this polarizing effect, didn't he? Yeah. In, in a sense, there was a sense of judgment Mm. In, in that Jesus' very presence made it clear who were, as it were, the sheep and the goats. Yeah. You know, and so, um, you know, he says he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire as he announces the coming of, uh, of Jesus. His winnowing fork is in, is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn and he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So, the interesting thing, even though that the final judgment is still, even for us, still in the future, yeah. the the judgment, in a sense, begins right from the start. Definitely. Even as Jesus being, brings grace and forgiveness, mm. his very presence has this polarizing effect. Mm. It makes clear who's with him and who's not. And there's a real sense of, and the other thing reading through John 
again today is this beauty of common sense. There's a real common sense yeah. preaching style for John. Yeah. What we see in this chapter, at least, yeah. where he is basically saying, you know what the good thing is to do. Yeah. Stop doing the bad thing yeah. and pretending that you're good yeah. because this is- Yeah, that's know, right. It, it's, yeah. It's a, there's, a, there's something really beautiful about yeah. it. That's right. So, he's, he's preparing them because, as we know, there were people that got it and there were people that didn't. There were people that followed Jesus. Yeah. And then there were people that wanted to kill Jesus. There wasn't much in between, in fact. It, no. So, so he's preparing people to be on the right side of that response. And, and the important point here is uh, John was an incredibly popular um, enigma of the day. He was a, mm. like, as far as, you know, the news cycle goes of Jerusalem, which was a lot slower back then in the Holy yeah. Land than it is today. But, you know, for months, John is out there. People are going Every class of people, every type of people are going out there, amongst the Jews, yeah. we should say, um, and the officials are going out there to see what is happening. Who is this person? Including, as we get towards the end, his cousin, That's right. Jesus. That's right. He comes to him. So, there's a lot of pa- parallels, and, and, and we'll move on to the baptism and the, and the genealogy, but just one quick comment. There are a number of parallels, obviously, with Elijah. He has this in the spirit yes. of Elijah, so this prophetic... Uh, role. Uh, also, his relationship with the king. Elijah had this fraught relationship with Ahab and Jezebel, mm. obviously, and, and you get a very similar thing. Uh, he quite openly criticizes um, uh, Herod at, at this stage, yep. who, who is. Uh, for marrying his brother's yes, wife. That's right. And, and so yeah. th- there's the si- similar kind of situation. So, anyway, you know, we get a brief account that Jesus is baptized and. Uh, and then we get the Holy Spirit descending on him. Now, this is, and we mentioned this last week, mm. Luke is very interested in the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Major theme. Because, of course, Luke is writing both Luke and Acts, and mm. Acts is very much, I mean, a lot of scholars, I mean, it's tradi- traditionally known as the Acts of the Apostles, but a lot of <laughs> scholars are saying, we actually, we should be calling it the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Because, uh, you know, Acts really follows the ministry of the Holy Spirit, you know, mm. and and so Already in the gospel, uh, Luke is recognizing the work of the Holy Spirit here, mm. and and so the Holy Spirit. Dis- you know, again, what sort of baptiz- baptism is this? It's not a baptism of repentance, as it was. Uh, you know, in a sense, if you get this picture, like um, John is calling the people to repentance, but Jesus comes and meets them and identifies with them in that place. So his baptism is a baptism of identification with those who are recognizing their need. And I think it's important to say that this, um, uh, what do we call it? This, this, uh, what's the actual church word for it? Saint, not, um, what are the acts of the church? We call them the, you know, when you take communion. The sacraments. Yeah, sacraments, yeah, yeah, all right. So yeah. this sacrament, I don't yeah. know if you would call yeah. what's happening here for John, but this sign yeah. of baptism yeah. is, wasn't, un- it's not unique to John and it's not unique to, you know, you know, the Christian church type of thing. But the concept behind the baptism is, and this is another theme that yeah. we get through, we get through the Gospels, is identifying with Israel, identifying yeah. with the history yeah. of the Exodus. Yeah, that's right. We're going to see that actually as and, we move on. Yeah. So, so as we think about this, the, the the story of the Exodus, a major part of God's deliverance is taking the people through the waters. Yeah. Through the you know, so yeah, they're right. saved, yeah. and this is a way for for. For John is basically using that imagery yeah. in immersing the people in the river, t- 
having them come out and say that they are ready, they're clean, they're ready to live clean to be part of God's people to move into that promised land. Yeah, and that's that's an important pattern here. So that Exodus symbolism in the waters of in the waters of baptism in the Jordan. So. when Jesus is baptized, we have this voice from heaven saying, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. Mm. Um, now, now, this is an echo of Psalm 2. Psalm 2 is a messianic psalm. Yes. Uh, so, this is, in a sense, Jesus' uh, messianic mission I- I- inaugurated. He-, he doesn't become the son of God. I mean, he's always eternally the son of God, but this is where sort of officially uh, he he sort of steps into this ministry. So in Psalm 2 it says, I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask of me and I will give you the nations as your inheritance and so forth. So this is a messianic declaration. But it also, it also the next line is, not it, in whom you're well pleased, that's from Isaiah. Yeah, that's right. And, yes. th- and that messianic prophecy is, you know, really different. Yeah. You know, and, and hints to something much greater that Jesus is yeah. going to do. Yeah, that's right. So, um, so, and then we get. Um, there, it's interesting because it's at this point that Luke puts in a genea- genealogy, yeah. and the genealogy is different to Matthew. Begins with his genealogy right at the beginning of his gospel, um, because Matthew is connecting. Jesus with everything that's gone before. Yes. Um, so he's particularly writing for a Hebrew audience. Uh, Luke reverses the genealogy, so he actually starts with the present um, and moves backwards and moves backwards yeah. into the past. And he doesn't just go to Abraham. So um, Matthew starts with Abraham yeah. because it's all about being related to Abraham, part of the Hebrew people. Um, Luke goes all the way to Adam. Well, he actually finishes, and Adam was the son of God. That's right. He goes all the way back yeah. to God, the beginning, you know, That's the beginning right. of everything. And this is important because uh, Luke wants to uh, underscore the fact that this is not only a Jewish Messiah, but Amen. it's a Gentile Messiah. This is the king of everyone. And, and remember that that Luke is a converted Gentile. Yeah. You know, he's someone who's obviously well steeped with Jewish history and, the, and you know, the Old Testament, but he is, he is a Gentile. So he's telling us that Jesus is for everyone. So we need to go right back to the very first human being, the first Adam. Yeah. And we also now get the biblical concept, not just now, but it, it, we get it, especially in this genealogy, that Jesus is the second Adam. Yeah. You know, this idea of the second, you know, the second Adam that comes out in Scripture. Yeah. This is sort of introduced, you know, in, you know, yeah. in the Gospels. Yeah, that's right. So, so what happens? So, the, the Holy Spirit comes upon him. Now, this is where you get another pattern in uh, throughout the book of Judges, and this is the case into uh, Samuel as well. You get this pattern where the, the Spirit of God comes upon a leader, you know, comes upon Othniel or Enoch or whoever the judge or Saul, and... Uh, says the Spirit of God comes upon them, and then they go out and they win some decisive victory. Yes, um, that's the the kind of pattern that you get in Judges and Samuel, and so we get very same patterning here. In fact, you get it, you know, you get it with Saul. You know, Saul, the Spirit of God comes upon him, he goes out and fights the Ammonites. Yes, and then uh, when David is anointed uh, in Second Samuel chapter sixteen, and it says the Holy Spirit remained upon him, so he's unique in that pattern. Definitely. But then the very next chapter, you get the story of David and Goliath. So that's his decisive battle, mm, mm. and so. So what happens here is that you get uh, the anointing, the Holy Spirit comes upon him, and then he goes out and he fights this decisive battle. But what this makes clear is actually who is the enemy. Yes. Because he actually now goes out, and in a sense what you get here is um, the 
situation in Genesis 3 played over again. Yes. You know, uh, it's it's, it's the same kind of contest. So, so let's go back. You're jumping ahead. Hopefully, everyone's everyone's read this. What happens is Jesus now, this is the beginning of his public ministry. He's in his early 30s, somewhere around there. We don't know Luke. Luke sort of says he's probably around 30, you know. Um, He then... With full of the Holy Spirit, ready for you know this commissioning that God yeah. has done with John the Baptist, he goes out into the wilderness. Yeah. He goes out into the wilderness again, having the Exodus story yeah. in our mind and the ancient yeah. Israel. We're supposed to go. Hang on, what's going on here? And he spends forty days yeah. in the wilderness, yeah. fasting, yeah. not eating anything. Um, you know, and that is to show that is to sort of. Make us think of the forty years yeah. in the wilderness for the yeah. Israelite people, and at the end of that, or even not at the end of that, because it's it seems that Luke alludes to during that entire time, Satan is coming to him and battling him, you yeah. know, th- yeah. through, through that forty days. But but Luke, in the way that he tells it, culminates it with three challenges. The same that we see in in is it in Matthew as well? I think it is, or yeah, John? Yeah. Is it in John? That's no, the same same in Matthew. Yeah. I, I think he flips the last two around the questions of Jesus in Luke yeah. in Luke's way of yeah. thinking of things. Yeah. But we are meant to a think yeah. of the Israelite. B, you've got exactly. I, I agree with you, Matt. We're meant to go back to the very yeah. same challenge so, yeah, of Satan. That's right. So, um, and we're the, also meant. Sorry, one last thing. We know that the way that Satan attacks us, according to John, is through the lust of the flesh. You know, the, how does he say it? the pride of life? Well, what's I'm the verse? Sure. The, the verse? The verse in John is. Um, hang on, you can you can look it up, and I'll 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 just make that connection while you're looking that up, DJ, because uh, that the connection, and even in ex, uh, sorry, uh, like. Exodus, Leviticus, that, and Numbers, the journey in the wilderness. Even that is is like a reflection, because they're, um, you know, that's kind of Eden, Genesis chapter three over again as well. So, yeah, yeah. But but you're absolutely right. The this Jesus going into the wilderness, because remember he's been baptized. It's a baptism of identification mm. with God's people. So he's going to get right what they got wrong. This is the this is the, in a sense, Jesus is embod- is the embodiment of the covenant people of Israel. He's going to be faithful where they were unfaithful, yeah. and his faithfulness is going to cover their unfaithfulness. Yeah. He's going to make up for their unfaithful. That's the point here. So it's very important that there's this. So he's going to be faithful where Adam was unfaithful. Mm-hmm. He's going to be faithful where the Israelites were unfaithful, and you get a mixture. You get an echo of both I, of those uh, stories. It's there. such an amazing story. Now, the verse that I'm thinking is one John uh, two sixteen, where John, the Apostle John, is telling us how Satan attacks us, and it's through the lust yeah, of the flesh, right, yeah. the the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Yeah, and that pattern we see in the questions <clears throat> yeah. of Satan in the garden. Yeah, and we see the the same thing of the questions of. Jesus. Jesus in the wilderness. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that, the the things that they go back and forward, uh, you know, in the challenge, is mm-hmm. is those ways that that Satan or the world wants to suck yeah. us in. Yeah, the lust of the flesh being, you know, command uh, the stone to become bread. Lust of the eyes. The devil showed him all the kingdoms and the pride of life. Throw yourself down. And yeah. and your angel, you know, and it's the same. It's yep. it's it's a similar. Yeah, it's a good. There. That's a that's a good connection. Yeah, the the, the connection 
and the parallel between the temptation of Adam, because uh, again, you know, he's going to get right what Adam got wrong, and the, it's the same with the Israelites. Um, the temptation, and this is the ironic thing in Genesis chapter 3, is that the temptation is, eat from this tree, then you will be like God. And the irony is that God had already created them in his image. Okay? Yeah. So, but And now, God has just declared, you are my son, with whom I am well pleased. Yeah. Satan comes in and says, if you are the son of God. Yeah, same. You know, it's it's yeah. the same the same kind of thing. It's actually yeah. tempting him to grab hold of or prove or achieve for himself this uh you know this this role and it's already been declared by right. God. It's declared by God and it's called into question yeah. uh, by Satan here. And it's interesting also because you know what we see here is is this kind of spiritual battle. You know yes. the Holy Spirit it comes upon him and he fights this spiritual battle. Sort of underscores what was always going on. I mean, it's more explicit in Genesis three. Uh, what was really going on in the desert with the Israelites? I think this is indicated by the judgment when when all the snakes came into the yes. camp, you know, yes. and they set up the, the bronze serpent. Um, uh, that this is a spiritual battle, and it's interesting the way that this is fought here because the temptation comes if you are the son of God. Uh, you know, calling that into question. You know, did God really say? Same. Uh, same as Genesis chapter three. Did God really say that? Mm, mm. You know, if you are the Son of God, you know, do this, prove it. Notice every time Jesus answers by quoting from Scripture. And 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 the scary thing, and that's a, that is a powerful thing for us to learn as the followers of Christ. That is the way that we fight this battle, but also. We are we we realize straight away, Satan's not dumb. The yeah. enemy's not dumb. Yeah, he goes, "Oh, you're going to fight it this way." All right, I'll quote scripture. I'll quote. I, yeah. I know scripture back to, <laughs> backwards and forwards as well. And he and this is the thing. This is the scary thing that we need to be really careful as believers. And we see this time and time again. Paul will bring this home to us, and Peter will bring us home in in the New Testament. Is that Satan doesn't come to us with outright blasphemies and, yeah. you know, outright yeah. things that sometimes that happens. You see yeah. that pretty easily. But the scarier challenge, especially like he's yeah. fighting here, the son of yeah. God, he knows who this person is. Yeah. He's quoting scripture back to him yeah. and trying to make you doubt. Look, I don't want to scare anybody here, but be careful. You need to be really yeah. on guard yeah. and let scripture measure scripture. Let, you know, people's claims about hidden truths or, you know, proving oneself or what the faith is actually yeah. about. Go back to the word. Go back to the word, just like Jesus did. Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, you know, it, it is. It's, uh, I think that there's a lot to learn from this. You know, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, you know, battle is not against flesh and blood, against yeah. principalities and powers of this dark world, spiritual forces of evil of this dark world. And notice he talks about the armour of God. And in Paul's illustration of the armour of God, there's one offensive weapon, yeah, yeah. and it's the sword of the Spirit, which is <laughs> the, the word. word of God. And you see this yeah. uh, happening here, you know, the way that... And, and I think I think Jesus is... Is underscoring the fact that you know primarily Satan is a liar and he's going to tr- is the deceiver and he's mm. going to try and deceive us. Mm. So I think this to me underscores the absolutely vital the vitality um, of understand knowing and understanding God's word. Not just not just knowing it, but understanding it. Because as you say, uh, Satan quotes oh. from it. You know, quotes from the word a- yeah. as well. And some of the most insidious lies um, are mixtures. Of truth, ninety nine percent truth with just yeah. one drop of poison. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Last night on 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 this, as we move forward in chapter four, uh, he, 
you know, the, the devil had finished tempting Jesus in the wilderness, and it doesn't say, and Jesus was free and easy and yeah. off he rode on the uh, type of thing. Yeah. It says here, Luke makes a point, that the devil left until he could come at another time. Yeah, that's right. So you the, know, it wasn't yeah. like a, it wasn't like a momentous victory. Boom, I'm done. It's yeah. all good. No, Satan was going to go. Okay, you won this one. I'll be back. Yeah, I'll that's be, right. I'm just going to wait. Yeah, that's right. Ooh. So, so Luke's anticipating something here. Yes. Um, I mean, we know this well, but yep. an original reader would be like, oh, what? what? Yeah. You know, <laughs> cliffhanger. Uh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> and so then, then we have uh, Jesus. Um, uh, going to the synagogue uh, in Nazareth. In his hometown. In his hometown. This is right. important because he goes back, after this wilderness thing, he goes back to the place that he grew up in, in Nazareth. Yep, that's right. Country bumpkin, backwaters yep. of, of a town. And as he's, as he, as Jesus's uh, habit yep. or practice or custom was, he goes into the temple, you know, on, on the Saturday for the Sabbath. And um, important, a little, a little note here, you know, for people, um, you know, who are coming to the Gospels for the first time or, or thinking about uh, what happens in a synagogue for the first time, a teacher or a rabbi would stand up to read the mm. word. And often everybody stood up to read yeah. the word. Yeah. But then when the rabbi taught... He sat down. Yeah, that's right. So do we see this picture and of And they Jesus? would deliver like a sermon or yeah, something. They would you yeah. know thoughts about it and they you know however they wanted to preach on. And so Jesus does exactly that. He stands up, he was given the you know scroll of mm. Isaiah, he reads it and he sits down and says it's been fulfilled today. <laughs> so it's the shortest sermon. It's the shortest exposition in the history of expositions. It's great. Yeah, I've just fulfilled this. Yeah. So the the reason for Luke, and again, this is all about uh, getting to that. Uh, we're in the helicopter now, flying yes. over the top. So he has he's been tested in the desert, you know, and he's he's coming out, and this is now Jesus making clear what his ministry is about. I mean, Luke is uh, as putting this in here so that we understand who is this. Yeah. Um, uh, and his ministry is outlined, and it's in the words of uh, Isaiah, because everything is fulfillment. Mm-hmm. Uh, everything is um, is pitched here in terms of fulfillment of what went before and connected with what's happening before. So that's the uh, reading from Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. He's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, set the oppressed free, proclaim the, years, the, the year of the Lord's favour. Um, and then he says... Uh, the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now, not only does do we see Luke recording uh, what Jesus' ministry, outlining Jesus' ministry, but also anticipates the responses. Yeah. So you get some, and, and straight away you get the polarization effect yeah. here. So some uh, are amazed and 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 drawn to him, but a lot of people here are offended. Yeah. Uh, offended at now, him. The, and the classic thing is, and this is what I love about Jesus, well, okay, a couple, couple points here. We're in chapter, you know, towards the last half of chapter four here. This, um, we could rightly say that this passage from Isaiah that Jesus reads at the beginning of his ministry mm-hmm. is, at least for a time being, the theme of the Gospel of Luke, yeah, that's right. You know, the theme of this God. I'm here. This is the this is the Lord's year of you know His favor is here. I'm going to you know I'm going to reach out to the poor, and by poor he doesn't just mean financially yeah. poor. Yeah. He means poor of spirit, uh, the ostracized, the yeah. outcast, those who are you know not spiritually part, oppressed. Yeah, the non-powerful yeah. of you know the different the disenfranchised, whatever you want to say. You know, and we see, and then again, not to spoil anything, we then get a few chapters where he's doing exactly that. We see what that yeah. actually looks like. Yeah. But 
this is a this is a principle here. I love I love of of, of Jesus' teaching. We get time and time again. He will say this truth, and people will gravitate towards him or be repulsed. But then it's this is this is what I love about him. He then will go further, and you think, okay, Jesus, if you were if you were his public relations yeah. person, you'd be like, hey, you're you're, you're trending in the polls. This yeah, is great. Yeah. Shut up now, and every everybody and he goes, yeah, I got something further to say, and then he goes further, yeah. and and everybody hates him. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> he wants, he's not happy. He re, he he realizes sometimes that those who sort of swell up and go, yay, we love what you're teaching. Yeah, he's he's not happy with that. He goes, no, no, you're not understanding. I want to push you even further. Yeah, to the point where you're not happy about it and only the very few get what he's trying to say and this anticipates as i said this anticipates his reception and the thing about the goes on uh, the thing about the prophet in his hometown thing that's that's fairly well known now this for luke is important because one of the things that luke wants us wants to answer is why was jesus rejected by his own people the jewish people um and so this kind of anticipates that, like there's a sense his hometown isn't just Nazareth. Um, Luke is anticipating that Jesus is going to be rejected by his own people, the Jewish people, as as a as a Jewish prophet. Mm. And Luke is very interested in the ministry to the Gentiles. Mm. Um, that's going to be in throughout the book of Acts. And yes. so what we see here, yes, uh, there is a core, and the original followers were Jewish people. And we see here, even in Nazareth, some of the original followers. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we see a lot of his own people, as in, when I say his own people. Of the, the Nazarenes here yes. in his hometown uh, reject him, and this anticipates uh, for Luke, uh, you know, he, that he is going to be a prophet in his hometown in the broader sense of being rejected by the Jewish people. Mm. So, and and then what is then anticipated here? So, having been rejected in his hometown, mm. he he goes over, he goes to Capernaum, mm. and he basically Capernaum uh, actually becomes really now the hometown. Of of Jesus, so Galilee. That's right. Yeah, it's and and so that kind of anticipates this move. So he's rejected at Nazareth, Mm. um, and so he does no miracles there. But he goes to Capernaum and he does all these miracles there. Mm. And uh, and I think for Luke, that's sort of indicative of what happens that he's rejected by the Jewish people, and so he goes out to the Gentiles, and in a sense makes his home amongst a new people having been tragically rejected by many uh, of his own people. Yeah. So that you can see you see you see what Luke is doing here yeah. in that in that move from uh, the, the story about rejection at Nazareth to and then it says and then he went to Capernaum a town in Galilee on the Sabbath uh, he you know went yeah. to the synagogue taught the people they're amazed responsive yes uh, and so and he, we, and, he's, and he starts doing miracles yeah that's right he starts doing the miracles there in, in yeah, and, in, and it's interesting to note what sort of miracle he does when he goes into uh, Capernaum the one that's singled out by Luke yes uh, is this uh, casting out of a demon yeah um, and so so here th- this is this indication that that it's the Messiah winning this heavenly battle in there so Capernaum is you know is delivered in this sense because mm. they received him and uh, and so there's this victory over the demonic forces there uh, in Capernaum yeah yeah and, and so- by, by the way you know um, uh, I mean you can go to Capernaum I mean I've been uh, when I take the trips over I go to Capernaum and it's actually the, the village is, is all still there wow um, you can you know you can walk through you can walk through the synagogue it's uh, on the 
there's a, actually a fourth century synagogue that's built where the original synagogue was, but you can see the foundation stones of this original synagogue. You can walk through the walls and the columns are all uh, there. You can walk from there because it says in verse 38, Jesus left the synagogue and went to the home of Simon. And it's literally about uh, 20 metres. Wow. And you can walk that. Wow. You can actually walk out of the synagogue and down to where uh, Simon, most probably Simon Peter's house uh, was. You can, because it looks like it's been. Um, uh, kind of uh, retrofitted to yeah. become a church. Yes, you know. So it's you know it's it's actually really nice to be able to uh, to be able to stand in that spot. So that was- so we've we've got Jesus. You know, and again, just to recap here before we take a break, we've got Jesus moving from the wilderness back up to his northern hometown of Nazareth, being rejected there, going down to around the Sea of Galilee, and he basically we're setting up here at the end of chapter four. Luke is basically saying, right, this is going to be for the next part of the story. Jesus is going to be based around Galilee. Yeah, so get ready, right. for, get ready for some stories of Galilee because the people are responsive, they're accepting the message, and Jesus is able to do some miracles. So let's take a quick break, and we'll get back in and see what Jesus does and preaches around Galilee here on Thrive Deeper. Your old pal DJ here, and I'm interrupting episode 109, this discussion about the Gospel of Luke. But do not fast forward, don't touch that button, because I've got something for free for you right now. That's right. As you know, this podcast, Thrive Deeper, has grown out of the Thrive Daily Reading Guides, written by Matt Jacoby himself. And over a seven-year cycle, it takes you through the entire Bible. Day by day, verse by verse, it's a fantastic way to do that. What we want to do is offer you a free copy of the Thrive Daily Reading Guide, all yours for absolutely free. Couldn't be easier. And a big shout out to everybody who's done that. We've had a whole stack of people wanting to take hold of it, and it's been so fun sending them out. But this is the last time we're going to do it. This is the last week we're going to offer it. So if you head over to Thrive Today. TV. That's it. Open up the browser, whatever you're on. I'm going to do it with you on my phone right now as I'm talking to you. So open up thrivetoday.tv. Yeah, head over to thrivetoday.tv and you'll see a wonderful, fantastic photograph of Matthew and myself, if I do say so. And we scroll right down to the very bottom of the website and you will see a picture of the Thrive Daily Reading Guide and it'll say subscribe to the Thrive Bible Reading Guide. Learn more. Hit that learn more button and it'll take you to our online store. Right there, you'll see different uh, formats and everything of the uh, of the copy. And you're looking for that light green one, the Thrive Current Issue Physical physical or ebook touch on that and that'll open up uh, the current issue and you can see the current issue it takes you through this month november all the way through uh, january 2021 and it's all about the gospel of luke so you can follow along on the podcast as you do that select that and you can either choose the ebook version the electronic version that you can read on your device or 
if you're in Australia and only if you're in Australia, you can select the physical copy. You can actually get a paper copy sent out to you. Everywhere else around the world, and also in Australia, if you want the you know the the electronic version, you can select that. Pick what you want. Take it to the shopping cart. You know what to do. Use the coupon code DEEPER. The coupon code is DEEPER. Use that and it is sent to you for free. Fantastic. Maybe you've even got a friend who would love to jump hold of this. Maybe there's someone you've been wanting to get listening to Thrive, the podcast. You can get them onto the booklet as well. All right, so take a hold of that offer. It's the last week we're going to be offering it. So get on board. But enough from me. Let's get back into the Gospel of Luke on this Thrive Deeper, episode 109. Thrive Deeper, episode 109. We're in our second episode on the Gospel of Luke, and we've just wrapped up chapter 4, moving into chapter 5. Matt, this is, gets exciting. And I love the way that Luke outlines and lays out the story for a different purpose than the other gospel writers. Mm. And, you know, it's not a time, chrono- it's not a chronological order of events. It's not a diary of events. Mm. He's setting up, you know, there's themes and patterns to why Luke is telling the story. Mm. Like here, so at the beginning of chapter five, we get the first introduction to some of his disciples. And these are going to be really important people through the rest of the story. Yeah, so here Luke is introducing actually a new key element in Jesus' ministry, and that's the gathering of disciples. So, we see at the beginning of his gospel, is he's saying certain things about Jesus' ministry. There's the there's the, um, the contest with Satan, you know, the identification with the people of Israel and all of humanity, you know, is baptized, this baptism of identification, the, yeah. this standing up against Satan, the driving out of the evil spirit, you know, the the, the polarization effect rejected in his hometown, yeah. he's, re- he's received into Capernaum. And now we get this new element. I mean, the flow is just fantastic. Yeah. It's And now he introduced this element of gathering disciples. And gathering disciples, because remember he's talked about in um, quoting that Isaiah 61, you know, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to do this and this and this. Yes. This is where now he introduces this idea of, of gathering disciples. And this is not going to be just 12 disciples. Mm. This anticipates the gathering of all the disciples. And this is where you get this miracle where he tells, um, you know, he comes across Simon's uh He's been fishing and he hasn't caught any fish. And he said to Simon, put into the deep and let down the nets for a catch. You know, yeah. uh, Simon Peterson, there's a great scene of this if you've seen it. Have you the seen chosen, this the, in chosen, the Chosen? Yeah. And the thing that The Chosen does really well, and again, we don't want to, this is not spruiking The Chosen here. Uh, but I highly I'm, I'm, I'm happy to spruik The yeah, Chosen. I think it's fantastic. Happily, happily yeah. to spruik that. Because it's funny, in the previous chapter, when he's in the synagogue of Capernaum, um, he goes to Simon Peter's house. Yeah. But then in the next chapter, we're introduced to Simon Peter. Yeah, that's right. So Luke is, this is what I'm saying, Luke is not interested in telling us a chronological point-by-point yeah. point story. He's telling us these things to fit, fit in a it's thematic. Theolo- yeah, that's right. It's a theological worldview he wants us to yeah. have. And so we get this amazing, beautiful picture of of the point where Simon Peter 
not, he's obviously aware of this teacher, but the point where Simon Peter goes, oh, you are the yeah, one that they're telling that's us right. about. And the point of this is that the, the miracle, I mean, this is the thing, uh, all of the miracles are signs of something. Yeah. You know, they're, they're actually saying something. They've got a symbolic significance. And so, this miraculous catch is actually anticipating how disciples are going to be brought in mm. and, and this sense that, I mean, even the fact I mean, the, the, the fishing, because he says, you know, I'm going to make you uh, fishers of men. And, uh, and this idea of them being, of the fish being pulled out of the water, you know, and the, 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 the water, the seas, you know, in, in sort of ancient thought represent the realm of death and chaos. And, and so there's, a, there's, I think there's something really significant about this illustration of catching all of these fish and pulling them out of the sea. And, um, you know, even though that kills the fish, <laughs> the, the, the illustration is, you know, is, is you know, uh, the, this miraculous drawing in of disciples. So this, this is a movement, in other words, uh, it's not about as was normally the case with a, with a rabbi draw, drawing students around him. It wasn't mm. a matter of popularity or charisma or natural, no. you know, people being attracted to teaching, that there's actually something supernatural here. This is a supernatural movement, yeah. and, and there's going to be this supernatural defeat of darkness and then a supernatural drawing of disciples. And, um, and, and notice it even anticipates who actually is going to be drawn in because yeah. uh, when after this miracle, uh, Simon Peter falls at Jesus' feet and says, go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. Mm. So it's like this is, and this is connects back with what John has done. See, John has brought the people to this place of repentance so that they can encounter Jesus. And yeah. what we see here is Peter is actually in the perfect place to begin to become yeah. a disciple of Jesus, as, a, mm. as opposed to the Pharisees who famously reject Jesus, who would not have said this because they thought they were worthy and sinless and law-keeping. And and this is and this is the you, you've touched on it exactly, Matt. You're going with the flow here of Luke. In chapter 5, we get the calling of, you know, Peter in the beginning of the disciples. We get Jesus healing a man with leprosy. Yeah. And then we get just, just a, a little note here from Luke with this amazing story of the paralyzed man. We've all, if you sat through Sunday school at any level, you would have got the story of a paralyzed man being lowered down through the roof yeah. and Jesus healing. But at the beginning of that mess, beginning of that story, Luke introduces a really, really important uh, important point. One day while Jesus was teaching, some Pharisees and teachers of the religious law were sitting nearby, parenthesis, and it seemed that these men showed up from every village in all of Galilee, Judea, and from all Jerusalem. So right from the very beginning, yeah. the Pharisees and the teachers of the religious law, the Sadducees, these religious ruling people and the people who were who were the the um, the keepers of the flame, yeah. as it were, for uh, you know, Bible believing Jew- I shouldn't use the word Bible, but you know, Torah believing, yeah, Old Testament yeah. law law yeah. keeping, uh, you know, God fearing people, they were drawn to Jesus as well. Yeah, they're all drawn to Jesus. That's right. But, but who gets it? But who gets it? Yeah. And that's and that's the point. And the interesting thing is here that in Peter's reaction, um, he actually for him, this actually he doesn't believe that he's worthy. I mean, he's expecting the Messiah is going to come and he's going to draw the righteous. Mm. And so, the reason for his reaction mm. is, you can see, he's saying, go away from, I mean, he's serious about this. Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful. It's like, no, no, you've got the wrong guy. Yeah. 
Yeah. You've got the wrong guy. And there's a I'm not the sort of person that you want when actually what Jesus is saying is, no, you are exactly the sort of person that exactly. I want. And, and the beautiful thing for Jesus is he sees past... I mean, it's a sincere response from Peter. You know, it's a, it's yeah, yeah. a, it's a beautiful brokenheartedness from Simon Peter. And, you know, and there's a special relationship between, yeah. between Jesus and Simon Peter. But Jesus' response is... Don't be afraid. Yeah. Like, don't be afraid. That that uh, that that fear that I couldn't be used from God. I can't. You're too holy. I'm too this. The fear that is in there, that is in our hearts, when we actually come to God. Yeah. Jesus's first response is, "Don't be afraid." Yeah, that's right. And actually, the next story underscores this this principle of yeah. like, who is it that the Messiah is calling? You know, because Peter thinks, no, you've got the wrong guy because I'm sinful. And the message is, no, actually, you're the very one, the very kind of person. It's it's the unclean that I'm reaching out well, to. And it, so, the very next story underscores it, that. Exactly. Fulfilling what he reads in, out of Isaiah, good news to the poor, uh, the captives, the blind, the downtrodden, the, you know, the people who are oppressed. These and, are the people that so Jesus he encounters. In. This man with leprosy is the next one. And the thing, important thing about this, and again, flowing out of Peter's encounter, is that the next person, according to Luke's narrative, that he he relates as encountering the power of Jesus Christ. Mm. There's Peter, the unclean Peter, and now there's the man with leprosy. And the thing with with uh, lepers were considered ceremonially unclean. Yes, and if you touched a leper, you would be you would become unclean. Mm. Now, what happens is that Jesus touches the leper and he doesn't become unclean, the leper becomes clean. Mm. And so, again, this is underscoring the fact that Jesus is coming for the unclean. He's he's coming for the unclean to transform their uncleanliness. Mm. Uh, And so, um, uh, this is, again, is an indication of uh, of what Jesus has come to do. And then the next uh, story, which you related to, which you just read a little bit of Paralyzed is where we man. begin to see the Pharisees and the teacher of the law yeah. is all around this idea of forgiveness. Oh. See, how is it? This is the thing. How is, you know, how is it that Jesus is calling these unclean people because they're unclean people? And the answer is, oh, that's because he can make them clean. That's because he has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Again, see, you see the sequence here. Yeah. Luke is answering that question. Because I know, like for us, we take this for granted. Yes. But an original leader, a, a, original reader, I should say, is asking, hang on, if he's the Messiah, isn't he becoming unclean by hanging out with unclean people yeah. like Peter, yes. by touching a leper? Isn't he becoming unclean? And the answer is no, because he has authority to make people clean. Yeah. And that's yeah. that's what comes out in this story um, from uh, 5 verse 17, the story of the paralyzed man where he's, um, uh, you know, he's, he's let down through the roof of Peter's house and uh, and and he says, well, he says, the first thing he says to him is not get up and walk, but Jesus says, friend, your sins are forgiven. And the Pharisees are absolutely livid. Yeah, they're livid at this because um, the only way of being forgiven is through the temple. It's through the temple yes. system. It's through the sacrifice. To be forgiven, there has to be a sacrifice. You have to present a sacrifice in the temple. Now, as it stands here, Jesus is that sacrifice. Mm. And so, he has authority on earth to forgive sins. And so, again, you get this polarization effect because the Pharisees, who are the think that they're clean, they reject, 
you, you see their rejection of Jesus at this stage, mm. and uh, and yet the paralyzed man, uh, and then the leper and Peter and so forth, they are getting it, you know. So there's a real um, there's a real significance in the uh, in the sequence of these stories, and then who comes next? It's like it get it's like it gets. <laughs> More and more controversial. We, yeah. Just when you thought it was already, uh, you know, stirring the pot, yep. now it really stirs the pot. And uh, we go to the bottom of the barrel. That's right. <laughs> where Jesus goes to a tax collector, and the tax collectors were, you know, like in some ways they were. I mean, they hated the Romans, mm-hmm. uh, but the tax collectors in some ways were even worse because they were Jewish traitors that worked for the Romans yeah. to extract money from the Jews to give to the Romans and very often took a a lot extra for themselves and made themselves rich in the process. Yes. And this is Levi, the tax collector, uh, who is this hated, you know, the ultimate unclean, really. Uh, Just to topple this off, Jesus goes uh, to Levi, not only calls Levi to be his disciple, Mm. but then goes and hangs out at his house. uh, And you get this famous saying when they all – you know, complain about this. You know, why is it that you're hanging out with these sorts of people? And Jesus said to them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick I've not come to call the righteous, but yeah. sinners to repentance. It's just the sequence here is is marvellous. Yeah, yeah. And it's on, it's on purpose where, like, Luke has Jesus reading out that passage from Isaiah and then he fleshes out over the next chapter exactly what that what that looks like in who Jesus is calling to himself and the miracle miracles yeah. that he's that he's yeah, doing. Yeah, that's right. And the fact that they see that I mean this is the thing what is being highlighted at this stage is the fact that the 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 these religious leaders you know representing you know the a lot of the population they just can't get it. They're just not getting this new thing. And the most sort of unexpected people are getting it. Uh, and, and so Jesus uses this once when they complain about them not fasting and why aren't yes. you fasting, keeping the law. I mean, there's all these amazing things happening, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That they should be rejoicing over. Yeah. Uh, and, and they're just questioning him over, you know, they're trying to catch him out on matters of the law. And this is where he uses the illustration of the wine and the wineskin. Yes. He says, look, um, you can't pour new wine into an old wineskin. Like these Pharisees are like old wineskins mm. and they, they, they just can't, con- you know, you pour in the new wine, it just bursts. Yep. It just can't handle it. And it's not, it's not so much a comment on, you know, again, Jesus, even, even the next part of it, where chapter five and chapter six meet, we get this twofold story about, like you say, uh, you know, about fast, talking about religious fasting yep. and then talking about what you're eating on the Sabbath day. Yeah, that's right. You know, it's these religious questions that the Pharisees are keeping because they think that by keeping these laws, they're getting closer to God and they're being right. They're being proven right. Where Jesus is sort of is, is trying to get them to see that there's a great need in their hearts that they're not they're not yeah, seeing. That's right. So they, they they haven't understood the way to salvation. I mean, this is the key thing here. You know, Jesus has announced that he has come to bring liberation from spiritual bondage, the way of salvation. And, you know, it's interesting, uh, and this is this is really the polarizing thing. It's like, who can get this, right? Because most of them are just fixated on this way of winning salvation where it's through what I do. And, it's, and I mean, it's interesting reflecting on this now. I've been doing a lot of 
uh, some research into Hinduism. Yeah. And uh, the big thing in, in Hinduism is that, you know, it's seen as a way of um, salvation. That you, It shows you what you can do yes. to kind of win your own salvation. And it's, yeah. it, look, the thing that, that, that I'm struck by is the difficulty of winning salvation. I mean, you, it's like you have to renounce everything. You have to live. You, I mean, only really advanced yeah. uh Spiritual, really, ultimately, can finally escape the, that bondage of what they see as the cycle reincarnation. Of reincarnation, this endless cycle of, mm. of, of you know, getting your karma back, and and it's just, I mean, it, it really feels quite oppressive, and 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 it's interesting how, um, you know, all these worldly religious systems just get stuck on this. Yeah. You know, it's all about what I need to do and how I can build build my religious tower of Babel to meet, to reach God. Yeah. When Jesus is saying, no, I don't want you to do any of that. And if you even try to do that, you are not going to get it. Mm. And he's, he's, offering, he's offering the way of salvation here, which is come to the place of repent, just repent. Yeah. <laughs> meet me in the place of repent. Recognize your need. Recognize your need. And... And and connect you know connect with Jesus Christ who is has authority who is the one because he is the sacrifice and no one else even claims to do this. I mean, I yeah. often say it's not that. I mean, the other thing that's interesting that I'm. Re- I mean, I'm, this is something I've recognised before is that there are lots of good and valid teachings yep. in Hinduism. It's not that it's fault. It's wrong about everything, but it's just it's. It's kind of it's wrong about the main thing, you yes. know. It's like that. It's like that one percent that you talked about. It's yeah. like there's a lot of truth there, but it's, you know, it all points to this way of salvation. It's just the wrong way. It's the yeah. wrong way, you know. Yeah. And, um, and and this is what you know. Really, there was so much of what the Pharisees and the elaborate religious system that they'd created. There's so much truth in it. You know, hmm. um, we could caricature them, you know, too much. There's and a lot of truth. I, it's just they didn't get the main thing. And that's it. I, I'm I'm one for sticking up for the Pharisees because I see a lot of myself in the Pharisees. Uh, and I think if I dare, dare, dare want to say this, I think we're supposed to see a lot of ourselves in the Pharisees. Yeah. The fact that whatever, and again, we might be thinking that we're not religious at all. We've got no religious affiliation. You might be coming to this podcast from a agnostic or even atheistic background and thinking, I don't have any religious ideas, but we all have a system how we think the world should work Mm. how we think the world should be, how it should yeah. be fair, how we need to be treated compared to others. And Jesus's point here with the religious leaders is to say, you need to put all of that away because you're missing out on the truth because the truth is standing right in front of you and you're not seeing. It's interesting that at the beginning of chapter 6, when they have a discussion about the Sabbath, yep. that it's at that point, you know, and it's Luke says it in 6.11, at this, when Jesus really just showed them up uh, about healing the man's hand on a, on a Sabbath day. Yeah. Um, you know, really shows up the religious leaders. It's at that point, and this is the scary thing, is that instead of them seeing him for who he is, instead of them being brokenhearted or even questioning themselves, yep. they go, we need to do something about him. Yeah, that's right. He's disrupting the whole status yeah. quo. Yeah. We need to bring him down. Yeah, that's right. And by And by... Chapter six, Luke's is now showing clearly, you know, who is this? Who is Jesus? And, you know, he is Lord of the Sabbath. And 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 he doesn't just say this, he actually demonstrates this. 
in in front of them all, you know, he tells this um, uh, in, in the healing uh, of this man, and so um, he, you know, he's demonstrating this, and yet they just can't. Yeah. They just can't receive it. Not at all. And, and, and this is the this is the tragedy. And then you know Luke moves on to this, uh, you know, um, to the calling of these disciples. And it's interesting. In contrast, you know, we've met the religious leaders. This is who you think would be the followers. Yeah. But no, it's not them. It's actually a really motley band yeah. uh, of people, like quite a variety of people. Oh, you've yeah. got a tax collector, you've got a zealot, you've got, uh, you know, you've got fishermen, you've got all s- a really strange kind of group of people. You've got Judas Iscariot. That's right. You've got someone who's going to end up betraying him. And it's a really important, as he calls the 12 mm. disciples, and here Luke, Luke calls them the 12 apostles, he calls yeah. these the 12 apostles. Yeah. It's, again... For those of us who have been reading the Old Testament and familiar with the early days of, you know, the calling of, um, you know, uh, Abraham yeah. and, the, you know, the formation of, you know, yeah. Israel, yeah. we're supposed to be thinking, hang on, 12. That's not a random number. Yeah. He's doing this for a reason. Well, that's right. I mean, and, and so, and this is where, again, talk about patterning. It follows a very similar pattern. Okay. So, uh, Moses calls the 12 tribes out of Egypt, where do they go? They go to Mount Sinai, where they get God's manifesto for them as a nation. Well, what yeah. you get here is um, is you get Jesus calling the 12 apostles, okay? And then what do we get? We get the sermon, yeah. the great sermon. Now, it's interesting, he calls it the sermon on, on, on the plane. On the plane <laughs> in Matthew, it gets called the Sermon on the Mount. Now, uh, is this the same? Look, um, it, it's probably the same thing. I mean, it, look, it could be, in fact, even in the, the traditional place, uh, and you can go there today where they think that this probably happened. Yeah. It, it's actually on a mountain, but there's a big flat place. There's actually a plantation on that on this flat level place yeah. right at the top uh, of this hill. So, um, look, it could be both of those uh, things uh, because he's well. Again, he's, in, in the new New Living Translation here in, in six seventeen, when they came down the slopes of the mountain, the disciples mm-hmm. stood with Jesus on a large level area, surrounded yeah. by many of his followers and the crowds. And then he goes on to speak. Yeah, yeah. And again, it's also the fact is, you know, we know that. A lot of times, and you you can speak to this, Matthew, of being yeah. someone who's who's been a long time, uh, you know, preacher or someone who delivers sermons. A lot of people, you know, especially itinerant, ser- you know, preachers, people who teach itinerantly, who travel around yeah, and yeah. teach, you often teach the same thing. You often you have do, a message, you teach the same thing, yeah. you know. And so, so Jesus is messaging. He probably he probably repeated it quite yeah, a few times. That's right. And look, I mean, and again. It's, it still could have been, even though it says he came down, because it's like there are still high hills. I mean, it's, yeah. it's in the foothills uh, just around uh, around the area of uh, of the lake. So, look, whatever the case, it certainly would have um, you know taught these things again and again. The point is, is that he's called the disciples, he's called the Twelve, uh, and now this is the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, sorry, this is the um, Mount Sinai moment. Yeah. Okay. So, he is... Um, first of all, he is declaring who are the blessed. I mean, Beatitude, uh, so yeah. this is a very Moses kind of thing, you know, because I mean, you know, for Moses, you're keeping the law. It's blessed are those uh, that keep the law. You know, the blessings and curses at the end of Deuteronomy. Um, you know, Jesus is declaring blessed uh, are those who are poor, who are hungry now, who weep now, uh, when people hate you. Uh, you know, it's 
it's a um, this is this is a gospel for the downtrodden, yeah, and the lifting up of the downtrodden, mm. and and I think there's again, you know, I think this is uh, the, the poor and the despised, and um, but there's a if you read this alongside Matthew, there's a spiritual spiritual aspect to oh, this. 100%. He talks about poor in spirit. Hunger and thirst for righteousness, and and all of these things, Jesus says even right here is that God blesses you who are hated and excluded and mocked because you have identified with me. All of this teaching, without I don't yeah. want to sound like you know selfish or anything here. All of this teaching is is Jesus both identifying himself yeah. with those who he's t- t- talking to, yeah. but he's also wanting the, those who he's calling to identify with him about who he really is yeah, that's and that right. he is the solution to the problem. Yeah, yeah that's right. So, so yeah. that's the, the- And so he's, he's really turning things uh, upside down here because- um, you know the kingdoms of the world belong to the strong and the the, the wealthy and yeah. so forth, but he's talking about the kingdom of God, and he's saying that's the, um, you know he's making very clear to his disciples because remember he's just called his disciples. This is the manifesto to them yep. um, that this is not a movement that where we move ahead with worldly power and worldly wealth. No, uh, actually, blessed are the poor and the hungry and those who weep. You know, yes. It's like, uh, you know, he's really sort of flipping this upside down. And then even more counterculturally, he starts talking about loving your enemies. Because again, they're probably still thinking at this stage, uh, the Messiah's come, we're going to rise up against the Romans and yes. fight against the Romans. Now, it's already Luke has already made clear who the real enemy is. Mm-hmm. It's not the Romans. It's a spiritual enemy. Yes. And... And so, what Jesus is making clear here is that we're not fighting against people; we're fighting for people, and um, and so we're going to love our enemies. Now, this is this is a sh- this is a shock one. We're yeah. going to love these Romans, and we're going to see uh, we're going to meet a centurion in, in the a next moment, chapter, in yeah. the very next yeah. chapter. Yeah. Uh, you know, straight after the very first thing that's going to happen after this is that a Roman centurion is going to experience mm. the next miracle. Um, so. Um, uh, and then he talks about don't you're not the judge, you know. Don't uh, condemn. You, you know. So, so the agenda is that we're going to love our enemies. We're not going to play the judge of the world. Uh, that's not uh, that's not our role. Um, uh, and then he talks about you know a tree and its fruit. Like you are going to if you stick to this, you're going to one. You're going to bear good fruit. You're going to bear the fruit of the kingdom, yeah. and you're going to be built on a solid foundation. Yeah. Uh, conversely. The warning here at the end of chapter six is: if you don't stick to this plan, yes. your house is going to come crashing down. And of course, we know that forty years later, yeah. the house did come crashing down because it was built on sand, and the Jews started the revolution against the Romans, and it all got crushed. And that was, you know, uh, the, the really uh, the, a devastating moment, yeah. historically devastating so, moment. So, for if you people. have to, if you have to sum up. You know, chapter, you know, the bulk of cha- the teaching of chapter six of Jesus in the later half of chapter six, where he, it's the Sermon on the Plain or the Sermon on the Mount or whatever you want to call it here. And he goes through the Beatitudes. He, he talks about love. He talks about, you know, judgment. He talks about how to build your house and bearing fruit. It's, a, it's an incredibly, and this is what we lose as modern readers, I think, sometimes, especially if we've been in the church for a yeah. little while. We lose how radically. Yeah. Countercultural this is, but it's still yeah. countercultural today. It's still countercultural today because, in fact, all through history, 
there has been this, and it's just a human tendency to get impatient, to try to force the kingdom of God, and you know, yeah. to try to politicize it, to you know play the judge, to you know to try to change the systems, you know by force, by uh, you know um, treating other people as the enemy. I mean, you, you just see this this kind of. Um, thing happening so much in the world today it's like i think one of the most tragic things is that there are many many people in our culture mm-hmm. who because of the politicization of uh, as it's you know and its perception it's large it's i think it's a bit of a media perception uh, as well yes. but there is this perception our oh, christians are the enemy mm-hmm. that you know the, the, i feel like they're the enemy now you know i mean by and large i think that's a false perception but there's too much out there that confirms that perception, and I think mm. that's, uh, I think that's a concerning thing. You know, we should never ever portray ourselves uh, as the enemy. Certainly not for political reasons. Um, you know that this is a mission um, in which we are going to go out and we're going to love those who otherwise would be our opponents, our enemies, those who disagree with us, those who stand for different things. And it's actually by loving them that we are going to shine a light and actually win them over because there's a supernatural fruit that we're going to bear. You know, it's like uh, as we do this, as we stick to the agenda of Jesus Christ, uh, there will be a supernatural fruit. Because remember, let's go back to the catch, uh, this miraculous catch, um, the, you know, there are going to be fish in the nets, but God is going to produce. It. All we need to do is stick to the plan. Don't try and force it. Don't try and make it happen. Be faithful. It's through this self-sacrificial ministry of drawing people who are would otherwise be our enemies, who otherwise would be the outcast people who represent, you know, everything that sort of stands against biblical values. These are the very people that Jesus most wants to wants to reach today and these are the last people that we should be alienating and uh and you know the the ministry we have to again the good old question what would jesus do um i think we need to get back to the gospel i recommend reading luke's account of the sermon on the mount here and really internalizing this because this is the mission The old classic, What Would Jesus Do? Yeah, it's not just a bracelet, WWJD. It's an actual question we can ask ourselves as we go through the Gospel of Luke and think what he would have us do for now. I love the fact that Matt challenges us there to get into that sermon that Jesus preaches early in his ministry. In the other Gospels, it's known as the Sermon on the Mount. As we say in the Gospel of Luke, he calls it the Sermon on the Plain. Was it a mount? Was it a plain? Was it both? I think it was a bit of both. <laughs> but it shows us what our mission should be, what Jesus's mission was all about, and what it means to live in his kingdom. Oh, that's so rich. All right, we'll join us next fortnight as we go further into the Gospel of Luke. Remember, head over to thrivetoday.tv. Use the coupon code DEEPER to get your free copy of the Daily Reading Guide. And until then, we'll see you in a fortnight here on Thrive Deeper. Thanks for listening to this episode of Thrive Deeper. Matthew and DJ really appreciate the questions and thoughts about what you're reading in the Bible as you go through it with Thrive. Our home on the internet is thrivetoday.tv. 
You can contact us, ask questions, see all of our resources and much more at our website, thrivetoday.tv. The Thrive Today Network is on Facebook. Our Facebook page and links to our community groups are waiting for you. Just search and like Thrive Today page in Facebook now. Visit ratethispodcast.com slash thrive deeper. If you appreciate what we do and want to help us reach more people, go to ratethispodcast.com slash thrive deeper. Until next time, our prayer is that these shows will inspire you to go deeper into God's Word and thrive. This was another DJP.FM production.